Hello, welcome to today's uh, episode. It is July 3rd, which is the day before July 4th in America, which is our Independence Day. A lot of uh, exciting celebrations going around all across the country and fireworks and, and all sorts of things going on, which is really exciting. But but I uh, thought I would talk a little bit on a different subject, even though it is exciting. If we look at the history of America and everything that it's stood for at its time and today, you know, it, the ideal, ideology being tested more than ever in many, many people uh, in this nation who are trying to be at war with the principal foundation, which was established by our forefathers. Anyway, on a different note, I, I guess the things that I've been thinking about most in the last uh, the last week and a half have been, uh, I was listening to some, some uh, Jewish Christian debates and uh, just kind of listening to what the conversations are like, what the people are saying and talking. You know, I've listened to some older ones back in the 90s. I listened to some recent ones here in the last two, three years. You know, and I was, I was kind of surprised to, to find a... Uh, it has that the environment has changed fairly dramatically. Seemingly, the debates that were in the 90s were far more hostile Jewish people didn't want to debate. They didn't want to dialogue with uh, with Christians. They didn't want to talk. Uh, they felt very strongly about that. It was it was more just they'll do it so that this issue can be settled once and for all. Because to them, it's as clear as day where their position is. And that has somewhat changed. the uh, The dialogue a lot more is is especially to even the evangelical community, if I can say it that way. Um, has been a lot more tender, a lot more soft, uh, open talk, open dialogue, open to discuss uh, what we have in common, which is kind of an amazing shift. Um, something that I, yeah, I, I just, and I see it too in Israel um, over the last couple of years as we've been there too, there is just a, a warmness and an openness um, for outside people like ourselves, for for believers in Yeshua, which they don't necessarily know all that, but for for outsiders, Americans and stuff to come, there's just an openness, and even in the people as we talk about it, the hostility hostility towards uh, uh, messianic believers is seemingly tampering down a bit, uh, not in its entirety, but a bit. It is there's a bit more openness. Um, I guess that you can observe and see in the world. Uh, it, not in its entirety, perhaps. There's, I'm sure there's rabbis out there who despise Christians, etc. And, and there's a lot of misunderstanding there, too. But I guess what I was going to talk about today is somewhat on that line. And just kind of some of the things I see that I think, I think Christians have done a horrible job of, of portraying the message of Yeshua, portraying uh, what he talked about. We have done such an awful job. We really have. We have done such a, an immense disservice to the kingdom of God because of our personal uh, personal issues and biases that are not dealt with and not surrendered, if I can say it that way, uh, because we are misunderstanding what God is doing. I, I just and I, and I feel very strongly about that. You know, we have these BDS movements. You know, boycotting Israeli goods and things happening in the church. You've got 50% of the church that believes in replacement theology. We've got all this, this, this evil, can I say, 
that's just painted against people who God has walked has has uh, people who have have um, taken care of the Bible, carried the Word of God, carried the name of God for generations. You know, many, many, many more beyond even uh, the backstory of 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 Jesus and the Christianity. So in the old in the Old uh, Testament. And I think that this has been so damaging, and it's been it's been the way it is. Now Jesus did prophesy that it it, it will happen. He said the time will come where they will throw you out of their synagogues, where they will do this. But he never really prophesied that uh, Christianity in itself would would create would form this separate religion, which is really where most of this pain and travail have been coming from in the world. To have created a separate entity. You know, we have all these religious entities now. We have Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Taoism. I mean, there's just, you go down the line, there's all these isms. And it makes you question, why in the world? I mean, Jesus did not teach that. He did not come to create another religion. He didn't do it. Where in, And if he did, please show me in the Bible where he did. Where did he come to form a different religion? He didn't. He was born a Jew. He was born in a Jewish home. He was born to a Jewish family. He preached amongst his Jewish brothers and sisters. His followers were all Jewish. They all came from Galilee, a place in Israel. And he preached in Jerusalem and Galilee and Samaria, all, all uh, Israeli regions, Jewish regions. And where in the world do we come up with the idea that somehow Jesus created this separate religion because of the hardness of, of Jewish people's hearts and minds. I mean, there was hardness, there was resistance, and that was prophesied that there would be some of that, because that is the nature of the old man. Let's just look at the bottom line. Even in Christians today, many people who are just carnal Christians, if I can say it that way nicely, they have the same issue. When, when a spiritual message comes to them, they just want to attack it. They just want to destroy it because, because it, it pricks them in their hearts. Well, Jesus' message pricked them. It was convicting. It was a message that was, was hard to hear because, because he, he went against traditions and things of this that had distorted uh, Judaism in that day. Okay, I mean, we have to understand the message. We have to understand what he was saying. We have to understand the, the, the writers. The writers in the New Testament, other than Luke, uh, and he may have been Jewish. I'm not sure. I'm thinking he wasn't. But, you know, we're all Jewish. So where do we get this high-mindedness that we are something special and that God has forsaken the Jewish people? It's ludicrous. It's, it's, it's madness. Um, now, ultimately, Christians and Jews because Jews are aware of this because Christians are so adamant about it. You know, ultimately the question is, well, can somebody like that go to heaven? Well, I guess let me ask you the question, why is that even a question? Uh, Jesus didn't ever preach people going to heaven. He preached, what did he preach? He preached repentance, baptism, okay? Filling of the Holy Spirit. And then he preached eternal life. Well, that's a little bit different than the modern mindset of heaven. We have a, a idea of a utopia in the stars, um, you know, as our final destiny, which, it, I mean, it may be, but the description in the Bible isn't really that. Um, I mean, it is to a degree as far as the throne of God, but uh, the prophets spoke about that. That, was, that, was not even, that wasn't really a New Testament thing. I'm just saying, it, it's, where does this come from that the focus is on heaven? 
it's not really what Jesus taught. It's not really what he preached. He preached repentance, uh, which is a very Jewish concept in itself. Repentance is the turning of your own way. One of the, one of the things I learned, uh, which was I think was very, very uh, enlightening to me, um, was that in conversation, one of the debates, attention was brought to the fact that um, you know, a lot of Christians will say, well, how can you be forgiven if there's no blood sacrifice? Well, blood sacrifice was was only for a specific sin, and it's true. And then most Christians will bring it up because they don't understand the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. But Old Covenant, Old Covenants, plural, I should say. But, but the Mosaic Covenant, let's just put it that way. Mosaic Covenant, Moses Law. They don't understand it because they feel... Uh, let's just say Torah. That's maybe better. Torah means instruction. Okay, it's God's instruction. They don't understand it, and so the 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 idea is that every sin needed a blood sacrifice, which is not true. If we read Torah, it did not prescribe a sacrifice for every sin. It prescribed a sacrifice for unwillful sin. Um, you know, sin where we have sinned and we haven't known knowingly sinned. It was a sin we violated something we didn't realize we were sinning. Can I put it that way? That was blood sacrifice. But what was required for willful sin, there is no sacrifice for willful sin. And the, the Bible even says in the New Testament, there is no. If you are willfully violating that, your conscience or willfully violating Torah, God's instruction, if you are violating it, then what you need is repentance. You don't need forgiveness. You need repentance because there is no sacrifice for willful sin. You need to turn from that sin and come back into uh, the household of God. That's what he brought up. And it makes a lot of sense. What was, what was John preaching in the wilderness? He preached repentance, repent for the, the kingdom is at hand. Jesus preached, repent. The kingdom is at hand. You know, there's, this is what they preach. They preach that we need to turn from our own ways. We need to turn from what we know, from our ideas, and we need to turn to the living God and repent from our own way. Repent and hear the words of the kingdom. And that is ultimately what, he, what, what, what the message was. And so this is, you know, this is obviously different. We, we, we understand repentance today, but we have some denominations who believe that once you've repented, you know, and you become saved, then you're always saved. It's a gift. It's a free gift. Salvation's a free gift. And, you know, you can't do anything to undo that gift. But, but, but that's besides the point. You have to repent. You have to turn from your own way. There has to be a returning from the old way to a new way. And the life of, of many people who believe in that idea, believe in that doctrine, are just filled with vanities, filled with uncleanness, filled with a, a lack of holiness. And it's totally in opposition to what God has written and what he preached. And just because they claim something, I mean, what the Bible says very clearly that in, in that day, the wedding feast, it says that many will come in and some will not have their garments ready. And, and the rule of the feast will send them out. That's what we have to understand. Not everybody that will come to this feast is properly prepared. We need to be properly prepared. Now, as to the dialogue between Judaism and Christianity, which I think is wrong. I really do. I know Jewish people think of Christianity as a separate entity, and rightfully so, that we Christianity has created a separate entity which is completely separated from its root. And that is in uh, the faith of, and the covenants that pertain to us. 
as I as I thought earlier, you know, Abraham, the promise to Abraham is just as relevant to us as believers or slash Christians as it is to the Jewish people. The covenant made to Noah is just as relevant to us as it is to the Jewish people. The covenant made with um, with uh, Jacob in the naming of Israel is just as relevant to us as it is to the Jewish people. Then the covenant made with David is just as relevant to us as it is with that. And the covenant of Moses is just as relevant. You know, what? what is our faith, what we believe is merely, it's it's all there in the same book the first first century of christianity there was no new testament book okay there was only the there was only the bible there was only the jewish bible if you want to call it that uh but it was only the it was the book it was the prophets it was the torah it was the you know this was what people preached this this is what jesus used this is what paul used this is what all the apostles used they didn't have a separate book so why the focus why the focus on this New Testament? It all comes down to one point. This is the conclusion that I feel in this whole argument. I think if we can get Jewish people to talk about this, not try to talk about Jesus' validity as a Messiah, okay? Because there is things that they they will not recognize or receive him until he has fulfilled certain things uh, with their modern mindset. Okay, with the current mindset, and that is, and that's the fact that if we continue to drive at that and push at that, it, it's not going to change their minds. Okay, necessarily, it just won't put. It, we we can't. It's not from that, and it's not strategic. We're not trying to to somehow win them to Jesus. That type of. Th- I mean, we are, but you know, I'm, what I'm saying is that we need to let them see it for themselves. Okay, to the Jewish people. The, the message of the gospels to them. So the gospel message must reach them. They must reach out to God and say, who are you? And Jesus will come. And he's done that many times. And the huge movement in Messianic Jewish people has been to that extent. The, it's all there. It's in, it's in the Tanakh. And they can see it. We don't need to drive that point home. That's not what it's about. Paul, who was a Jew, was very clear that that has God forsaken the Jews. He said, God forbid. He said, absolutely not, because because they were the ones who were committed the oracles of God. God is not finished with the Jewish people. He is not finished with them. And how dare we boast against that? We, 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 We are very misplaced in doing so. Why? Because he's not finished with them. He's not done. If we think that we are missing a huge picture uh and let it not be the question okay whether they go to heaven or not that's not for us to judge anyway if we're very clear in the bible that the end there will be a judgment where god will judge the quick and the dead that means the living and the dead all right he will judge everyone let him be the judge of that that is not for us to judge we are not given to my understanding the authority to make judgment as far as to eternal destiny. We are given authority to preach the kingdom. We are given authority to teach teach and preach and walk with people and to show them what the Bible says. But we have to stay within context of Scripture. We have to stay in that. And God is the one who, he's the only one who can judge as far as it goes for eternity with life and death. Okay, the quick and the dead. It's when the books are open that that will be taken care of. That is not our place here on this earth. It just isn't. 
Let God be the judge of that. Because my personal opinion is God's not done. He's not done with the Jewish people. He's not done with us as believers. There's going to be a coming together. And it's somewhat of what I've addressed in when I, when I talked about, when I talked about the, uh, the lost tribes. It's, it's part of the messianic calling is to bring Israel out because he is the shepherd. And so he was waiting until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. The other day I saw that, uh, it was when it mentioned one of the debates that, you know, he's there's when Jesus comes is based on the fullness of the Gentiles, which is what the Bible says. And, um, but there's also something else he's waiting on, but, but I'll get to that yet. But so, you know, Gentiles means, doesn't necessarily mean Greek. Okay. Gentiles means, uh, Israel, Sumerians were all considered Gentiles. They were not full, fully Jewish. Okay. That just means somebody outside of Jewish Judaism. It's a Gentile. So the house of Israel would have been considered to be Gentile. They're not Jewish. Um, and that's maybe a little bit what I talked about in the whole thing with, with Gentiles or with, sorry, with the house of Israel and what God is doing there. I, it's been a while since I've done that series. I almost think I should maybe redo it because I've just been a lot of new information and thoughts in that regards. And it's, it's, it's a message that is not being taught today. It's not being spoken about, but it's being fulfilled. Uh, many rabbis recognize this drawing to the land of Israel, especially by people groups, uh, and especially the evangelicals. Uh, the statement was made by Rabbi Shmuley that the evangelicals are the greatest friends of Israel on the face of the earth. I thought it was a pretty profound and amazing statement. I mean, to think that that is a recognized fact that evangelicals, not all Christians, but evangelicals are considered, that he considers them the greatest friends of the Jewish people in Israel in, in, on the face of the earth. Why? Why is there an affinity and a connection in, in certain people groups within Christianity? I believe, uh, as is prophetically spoken, okay, that, that Ephraim will find grace in the wilderness. And not only will Ephraim find grace in the wilderness, Ephraim and Judah will come together and the two sticks will be as one stick. That, just as it is prophesied and spoken of. And for him to have made that statement to me, was just chilling. It just was. It, it, it's, it's stunning to think that uh, God is singling out um, the two houses and he's making this happen. So, so what, you know, it comes back to now a responsibility what, between Jewish people and, and Christians. What is, uh, what is the, what is our response? I mean, what is what? What do we, what do we see? I mean, what do we say? What do we do? I mean, I mean, we have we have an obvious difference, and that is being in the Messiah. Can we look at a Jewish person and accept them if they don't believe in the Messiah? For that, we have to look at what is written. We we cannot assume things. We cannot assume things in our human imaginations uh, that are so anti anti what God is doing. See. We have received him. We, and, and the reason we received him is because God has, has temporarily covered the eyes of some of the Jewish people. And it, it allowed the door to be opened to Gentiles, which was prophetic, which is what God wanted to do. And so he is waiting for the fullness of that time. And the time, I think he will tarry. 
Uh, it even says that he will. He's long patience, not with, not wanting anyone to perish. And so I think if God has to extend his his return 2,000 or 3,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 years, it doesn't matter as long as people will be coming into the kingdom. He's, he's not wanting any to perish. But I think the time is coming to a head when, when we will be faced with the ultimate test, if you will, uh, a time of, of greater trial, a, greater, a time where we will be purified and, and purged and where the truth of who we are and what we are doing is going to come out and be tested. And it will drive, I believe it's going to open the eyes of the Jewish people, and I believe it's going to open the eyes of true believers, true Christians, who will see who, who, what our place is and, and how we relate to God's whole plan. But anyway, the whole argument between Jews and uh, Christians should really be about the New Covenant. It should not be about the New Testament. It should not be about the death, resurrection of Jesus, okay? Because according to their modern mindset, it's not really, that those arguments are not going to convince them. But we really need to be speaking a new covenant. And it's prophesied. Now, the new covenant is something they understand. They understand the idea of the new covenant. And what I have had in conversation with uh, Jewish rabbis, etc., is, is explaining to them that we believe you know, Yeshua ushered in the new covenant. Yeah, not in its completeness as far as um, are we experienced the whole world knows 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 God and we don't need any teachers anymore. And think, no, we've not experienced the fullness of it yet. But he ushered in this new covenant. And what is in the new covenant? What did Jeremiah say? He said, I will write my laws in their hearts. Well, here, let me just look it up quick. And then we will have the accurate thing because this is really where it hinges this is the only major defense we have as believers uh, to, to show and teach the Jewish people our beliefs okay it's not in it's not in saying Jesus did away with the law and all that stuff they won't understand that unless they understand the new covenant because Jesus did not undo the law he did not undermine the law he did not put away with it in the sense that it was that it was a, how would you say it? We, okay, we read what Paul says. It was not done away. He fulfilled it. And how we fulfill the law is through Yeshua, the, the way he made it. Okay, it's the way, the term, is a very strategic term. In Judaism, following the rabbi, you know, is considered following the, the way. Well, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. Okay, can I say it that way? And what does that mean? The fulfillment of the law in mankind is to walk in the footsteps of Yeshua. And what did he do? He kept the law. Okay, there was no contrivance in him about that issue, but it wasn't about that. Okay, it was about changing of the heart of man so that by nature we fulfill the things of the law. What were the commandments he gave? He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is a very Jewish understanding too. Okay, that's the Shema. And he said, loving your neighbor as yourself. He said, those two things tie up all the law and the commandments. All of it, right there. But he also goes a step further. In the giving of the Holy Spirit, our thoughts and intents are judged. According to the law, just our flesh is judged. And what happens? We violate the law 
it brings in sin, and the and sin, the 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 reward of sin is death. So we can say, and this is what Paul says, that the law, uh, the Torah, is the law of sin and death. Okay, it is what we vi- we violate it, we die. That's what our flesh does. We have violated it, and it must die. But the, but the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Hakodesh, is not here for that purpose. He is here to change our hearts and to write the law in our hearts and minds so that we keep it not by the flesh, but by walking in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit fulfills the lust. Uh, or in by walking in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of our flesh. And we will, we will keep the law even to a greater extent, the new law, which is a better law, better covenant, better promise. Um, and that is in right, it is the law written in our hearts and our minds. So God judges us from a completely a personal standpoint. Okay, so it's now not just the outward, it's the inward. Which when the inward is taken care of, the outward follows suit. All right, that was a little bit of a rabbit trail. So let's let's go to um, Jeremiah here. Let me just find it real quick. So here we are, Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. Uh, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. So this is not the Torah. Okay, this is not really. It's not the same. It's, it's not not according to the same covenant here. Uh, that it took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which made which my covenant they break. Okay, and this whole book of Jeremiah, Isaiah, and all that is dealing with the the breaking of the covenant that was done. Although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant with, that I will make with the house of Israel. Okay, this is now dealing with the house of Israel. Now, some people could say this is the whole household, but just before he mentioned the house of Israel, house of Judah. So I don't know uh, the full extent of this, but it just says I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and I write it in their hearts. And write it, sorry, in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So that is that is the essence, okay? And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, let's understand what this is talking about. Uh, in a partial fulfillment, can I say it this way? When somebody enters the new covenant through the faith in Yeshua, who made the way, especially for us Gentiles, um, what is the first thing that happens? You know, we are sensitive to to sin. I, I've seen this over and over and over. People repent of sin. See, inside of us is a conscience that God has done. And when the when the Messiah comes, this heart, this 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 law in our heart, we know where we have violated. It's amazing. We we didn't grow up with Torah, most of us in our in our backgrounds. We didn't grow up with Torah, yet we know when we come before a holy God, we know what our sins are. We know what we have violated. Where does this come from? It's the law written in our hearts. And for that, you know, we maybe unknowingly sinned, 
but we recognize it and that for that we need blood sacrifice and that is the initial point where we enter through the sacrifice of Yeshua but then what happens is repentance which is what Jewish people believe you need to do as well that's the other side we turn from our own way well that is the step that needs to happen in every believer's life uh, we need to surrender our own way. We need to walk away from it. It's what Paul says. We need to consider ourselves dead. Uh, identify ourselves with Christ. Identify our flesh on the cross, crucified, so that we no longer walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. But so, all these things, you know, it's perfectly in line with this message. And then what happens at the end is he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Bible says that the law of the Spirit, and it's capitals, it means the Holy Spirit, the law of the Holy Spirit, okay? Notice the first word there, keyword, the law. Most people miss that. The law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law, there's the word again, of sin and death. Now, what is the difference here? Is it the commandments? Is it the rules? Is it the application? What happens? The law of the Spirit, okay, law. It's one law or it's the other law. It's not that the first law is done away with. No. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So not only is the law more stringent on the life of a believer than it was for the Mosaic law. It deals with our thoughts and intents, which is why it is more stringent. It deals with who we are, not just uh, the outwardness of, of our flesh. Okay, It changes us at core. And how often have I seen this? People repent of things. It is taken away from them. They have no more desire. People who smoked, people who drank, people who were... Uh, had all sorts of addictions and things and issues and relationship problems and language problems. They're given a new heart. And it's not a heart of a stony heart, it's a heart of flesh. And Jesus puts his law in this heart. And all of a sudden, especially especially uh, as we continue to walk, and especially with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we recognize instance. We, we recognize uh, when we have sinned. I, I have many times thought, even thoughts, I haven't verbalized anything, but I have thought something and immediately the Lord checks my heart. And that's the Holy Spirit. He checks my heart and says, no, that's wrong. Why? Because he is the judger of the thoughts and intents. The law was not the judger of the thoughts and intents. The law was the judger of the actions. Okay? If you will, it was the sin. The law judged the sin. But the new covenant law, okay, is a law that judges the thoughts and intents. It's much, much deeper. It's much more stringent. Now, you can keep ceremonially, if you will, the Torah. You can. You can keep it, and it's fine. But what Paul is saying is that the, the new covenant, okay, if you will, the new law. But the new covenant is the end of the law, which is referring to the law of sin and death, Moses' law, for righteousness. Now, you can keep it, but it will not make someone righteous in God's eyes because he has given us another covenant that has was prophesied. 
this is not some foreign thing. This is not some anti-Jewish thing. This is completely natural, completely normal, completely uh, prophetically written in the Old Testament of what would happen in this new. It's a new covenant, and it's from the heart. And it was ushered in by the Mashiach. See, they're looking for a kingdom. They're looking for peace, and they're looking for uh, freedom from physical things, which I think will come. I think if we study the Bible, we see that when the Messiah comes back, he will fulfill that. But he wanted to deal with the spiritual issues first. Okay, the same thing happened. Uh, the same thing happened with the Exodus. If we look at, you know, he led them out of Egypt, which was bondage. He led them out. He delivered them. He brought them what he wants for them. Okay, his law. Before he brought them to the land of promise. That's just how God wants to deal with us. The new covenant's no different. He wanted to take care of this. He wanted to take care of the, the core issue. Uh, different times, God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. The issue was, was, was the heart of man. That is what needed to be put away. That's what needed to be changed. That's what needed to happen. And so it was prophetically written that. That's the ultimate contrivance between Jewish understanding or Judaism and, and, and if you will, Messianic Judaism. Uh, Christianity is not a separate... I mean, okay, let me rephrase that. Christianity as a religion is very different than Judaism. I don't follow the religion of Christianity. I follow Yeshua. I follow Jesus. I am his follower. I don't follow a man-made rule, law, institution. I follow God and his way, okay? I follow if you will, his rabbi, which is Jesus, who he was given to us. And so that's why we follow him. We follow him as uh, Talmudim. We follow him as disciples. He, he told us to make disciples of all nations. To do what? To follow Jesus. Why? Because he is the one who showed us the way. So this is all Jewish concept. This is not foreign to them. This is not unknown by them. And I think what needs to happen is we, we Christians have to stop shoving something down their throat that they don't understand and start presenting things they do understand. Why Why do we have a mutual feeling of understanding? Like I, I have felt in uh, probably amongst the conservative, the Orthodox, not the ultra-Orthodox, but the Orthodox and conservative Jews, I probably have more in common with them than I would with most uh, liberal Christians as far as just an understanding of personal holiness, and things like that. Now, some people may be offended in that comment because they don't have Jesus in common. I realize that, okay? But here's the thing. Not everyone that says, Adonai, Adonai, okay? Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is going to be uh, allowed in. So it's not really about this rite of passage that everyone that proclaims the name of Jesus is, 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 is going to make it. It's not about that, Uh it's obvious Jesus gave that pattern and he spoke about it in his parables but can we get back to the core can we get back to uh, the important part here in this message in this in this important time that we live in can we put aside some of our foolish and childish uh, ways so that we can then better understand uh, brothers and sisters who perhaps have you know, who have, who, who need our help. Was it perhaps them who Jesus was referring to when he said, uh, that when I was in prison, you, you, you fed me when I was naked, you clothed me. Is, is it talking about the Jewish people? Maybe it is. 
we we should not punish them we should have mercy on them and walk with them and show them love the love of god to them more than anyone because they are his people i realize that the old covenant uh that there was a, a divorce that took place okay god did divorce israel because they break the covenant but how did has he grafted them back in it's through yeshua both branches were, were broken up with gentiles we had no chance but he broke off the top of the tree so that he could graft in new branches and that's what uh roman that's what paul is dealing with he, he's not saying that god is done with them no he they need to be grafted in. sure they do we have to be grafted in too but they are natural branches it is natural for them to understand these things. It is normal for them. This is like who they are compared with us Gentiles. We had no background. We had no business even being a part of this covenant. So we need to do what Paul says. And for that reason, I'm going to read Romans 11 because this is ultimately where it comes down to. And this is where every believer, you know, let's, let's stop being so selfish. Let's stop. I mean, yes, he's a personal God and he cares very much for those things. But but that's an elementary point in every believer that we that God establishes those things. But we need to go to maturity. We need to go on into perfection, not laying again the foundational things of repentance and baptism and, and dead works. Okay, that is wonderful to go through that. And it's a tremendous foundation is what starts it. But we have to continue on. And what is God doing? What is he saying to us? And, and that is ultimately what Paul is teaching. I mean, Paul is a Pharisee. He was trained by uh, Gamaliel, which is the grandson of Hillel, one of the greatest rabbis in Judaism. So this is, this is a man who understands the situation better than anyone else. And we cannot take his words out of the context of who he was. Okay, He was not a Jew hater. In fact, he was a church persecutor. He persecuted Christianity uh, at, at its inception until Yeshua revealed himself to him and then he became the greatest defender of the faith. And so we have to understand what the revelation of Yeshua, the Mashiach, does to the heart of a Jewish person. When he sees the picture, look at the radical change that will happen in the heart. It's, it's amazing. But that's a Jewish thing. This is not a, a separate thing. Anyway, back to Romans 11. I say then, did God cast off, and I'm going to do American Standard Version, uh, just because it's maybe a little bit easier to understand than King James, um, but let's just go through this. Verse 1, I say then, did God cast off his people? This is the question every uh, Christian today will all often ask, and Paul asked the same question, and he was Jewish. What did he say? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite. I am the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, what did he just say here? Did God, is he done with Israel? He said, no. God did not cast off his people, which he foreknew. Or know ye not what the scripture saith of Elijah, how he pleadeth with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed thy prophets. They have digged down thine altars, and I am left alone. And they seek my life. See, listen. I mean, this is Elijah. This is one of the greatest men of Judaism. Think about what he is saying here. He was pleading with God to just get rid of him. 
Why? They've killed their prophets. They have digged down their altars, and I'm alone. And they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God? This is verse 4. I have left for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, verse 5, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Here's one of the things that has really been a hindrance, I believe, to the modern Christian church is the word grace. Grace is a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a marvelous thing. But grace basically means, uh, it's basically, if you will, the total provision of God for people who follow in his way. Okay? We are inadequate. We are not going to do it. So grace is the provisioning for us believers to walk in the way of Yeshua. It is... It is the empowering by the Holy Spirit. It is salvation by faith. It is it is repentance. Like when we walk in grace, we are not walking. You know, it, it's just, it's different than this whole, it's God's enabling power and it's also God's unmerited favor. Yes, it is. It's, we don't deserve God's favor. I think we all know that. But God also enables us and that through the Holy Spirit and that, that enablement and that provision, if you will, to live out this life pure and clean for once, not just uh, by the works of the flesh, but by the Spirit, is, is, is what grace is. So, I mean, we have to understand it. So, it's by, according to the election of grace. But if it is by grace, and no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace, what then? That which Israel seeketh for, that he obtained not, but the election obtained it. And the rest were hardened. So what does it say? Okay, let's try to understand this. Paul's writings are hard to understand. Peter even writes this and he says, Paul's are hard to understand. I often wonder, you know, Paul knew probably the most of the Tanah by heart, for sure the Torah, uh, because of the people he studied under. And, you know, and here we have people who barely read the Bible. They'll read a verse and be like, yep, this is what it means. It's just, that makes no sense. Okay, we have to understand... Um, that this man knew what he was talking about, but he was a deep, deep, deep thinker and a deep writer. So we really have to get at the core of what he was talking about. So if by grace, it is no more of works. What is this saying? Okay, so it's by God's provision. It's not anymore by what we can do through our own strength. Otherwise, it's no more grace. Okay, so it's not by the physical works of the law. It's the spiritual works of the law. What then, that which Israel seeketh for, that he obtained not, but the election obtained it, and the rest were hardened. So what then, that which Israel seeketh for? This is what they seek, is basically what he's saying, but they have not obtained it, uh, but the election obtained it, and the rest were hardened. What's he referring to? Okay, he's writing to Romans, but he, he's, ref he's saying that some, some received it, the rest were hardened against it, which is what happened. Okay, a, a portion of the Jewish people accepted this idea and this message, not this idea, but this this message, and receive the gospel, and the other part were hardened against it. Why? Romans eleven eight, according as it is written, see it was prophesied. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, unto this day. So why are we surprised when Jewish people, some receive the message, some are hardened against it? Why? Because it was prophesied that it would be that way. Romans 9, 11, 9. And David said, let their table be made a snare 
and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. All right, so this is telling us why they struggle with it, why a, a portion received it and the others didn't, because it was prophesied to them. They are a stubborn people. The Jewish people throughout history have not been uh, amazing people towards God. They have many times fallen away and fallen and fallen and fallen, and, it, and, and these mighty men knew this, and they knew that this would come, and this would, would happen, and they prophesied about it. And then he said, in Romans eleven eleven. I say then, did they stumble? That they might fall? No. They didn't stumble that they might fall. Okay. It says, God forbid. But by their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. For what reason? To provoke them to jealousy. So, why did they prophesy this? Why did they fall? Why did they stumble at this message? Was it so that they would fall from the eyes of God and so that they would be cast off forever? He says, no. He says, but by, because of their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Because they did not receive the fullness of it, it didn't stay within their group. It opened up to the Gentiles. For what reason? To provoke them to jealousy. They will see in the Gentiles something that will, they'll say, what is about these Gentiles that they love God? It makes no sense. And I've had people ask that question. It makes no sense. Why do you come to Israel? Why do you care? I mean, you don't, you're not Jewish. Why, why does it matter to you? It obviously is, it's a kind of a jealousy factor. It's kind of like, uh, like this is our land. What, what do you care? You know, this is the purpose. All right. So let's, let's continue on here. Verse 12. Now, if their fall is the riches of the world and their loss, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness so he's, he's speaking here and says, look, their fall, the stumbling of many of them to, to receive the faith of Yeshua has become the riches of the world. Their loss is the riches of the Gentiles. So all of a sudden you have the half-breeds, the, the people who are not accepted, the Samaritans, if you will, and all the Greeks, are the doors open for them to be in, become into the household of faith, which is huge riches in, into the kingdom of God. Uh now, think of that, okay, so how great that is, how much more their fullness, how much more when they will come to the knowledge of Messiah and of the new covenant and embrace it. Verse 13, but I speak to you that are Gentiles, all right? He's speaking now to Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, basically he's saying, listen, I was sent to you Gentiles, okay? He said, I glorify my ministry. He basically wants to make it known what he's doing. If by any means, and he says, any means, I may provoke them, provoke to jealousy them that are my flesh to save some of them. So he, will, he, he is trying his best to, to reach his people. Verse 15, for if the casting away of them is the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So think about it. So God temporarily did divorce them, which is prophesied, and a portion received the message. And the message went out from Jerusalem into all the world, and the Gentiles came, and I mean, it overcame the Roman Empire. Yeah, it was distorted, but Christianity swallowed up the known world. Uh, 
and it became such a mighty thing. And so it takes a whole new who new light as far as if the casting away of them is the reconciling of the world. What shall the receiving of them be? But life from the dead. Think of the excitement when Jewish people start seeing their Messiah, start seeing the fullness of the new covenant coming to pass, coming to be. What excitement is taking place? Verse 16, and if the first fruit is holy, so is the lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay? Now, it says in 17, but if some of the branches were broken off. Okay? It doesn't say all, because it wasn't. Not all the branches were broken off, but some were. Some of these people did not receive the continuance of faith, did not receive God's message in that sense. And so they were broken off, as was prophesied in, in, in the prophets. Okay? And thou being an a wild olive was grafted in among them and didst become a partaker with them of the root of the fatness of the olive tree. Okay, so we, what is he saying? He's saying, look, I mean, some of these branches were broken off and it opened up the opportunity for us to be grafted into the root that goes all the way back to Abraham. Are we creating a new religion? Are we creating a new tree? Are we creating a new thing? No, we're not. We are merely grafted into the same tree, into the same root, and that is what he's saying here. Okay, some of those branches were broken off, but those also will be grafted in, as we will see in the, in the subsequent verses here. Uh, in verse 18, glory not over the branches. What does that mean? Don't think we are way more special than they are. Why? But if you glory, but if thou gloriest, it is not thou that bearest the root, but the root thee. It's wrong to think we are something special outside of Judaism that God has done with that continuance of faith. Why? Because it's the, that root is what bears us. It's the same root that we enjoy as them. We, we do not, some of them were broken off, okay? But that is the opportunity for us. All right, so verse 19, let me see here, make sure I'm in the right, yeah. Verse 19, thou wilt say that branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. So some were sacrificed, if you will, so that we could be brought in. Verse 20, well, by their unbelief, they were broken off. They didn't receive the message of Yeshua, didn't receive the message of the new covenant. And thou standest by, what? Faith. Be not high-minded. But what? Fear. Okay, so don't consider yourselves higher than your Jewish brethren. Do not consider yourselves higher than the contingents of faith. Why? And this is ultimately what Christians are just, they don't like this verse. For if God spared not the natural branches, neither will he spare thee. So he's basically saying, if God has no salvation to the Jewish people, which were broken off, who are natural branches, then, then you fear, because he's not going to spare you either. That's a really bold statement. And that should put us on our face towards the Jewish people, praying for them that God would intervene and that we could be reconciled as brothers and grafted into the same tree as was, was intended. All right, uh, where was I at? Behold then the goodness, this is verse 22, and severity of God toward them that fell. Severity, 
but to thee, God's goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. You have to continue in what he has given. He have to continue it, otherwise he'll cut you off. And I think that's what happened in Christianity. When we got separated from the root, God cut himself off from that part of the church. It became this man-made institution. It became this, this huge uh, pagan element that God basically forsook, and they went into paganism. Uh, quite, quite. Uh, it was, it was. We separated ourselves about 350 years after the church started, where it was the church and Judaism separated. And from that point, Christianity fell into all sorts of paganism. That's a whole other discussion. But we're coming back together, so I think it's it's part of what's happening here. Romans 11:23, and they also, if they continue not in their unbelief shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. All right, so he's basically saying, you know, many of them, if they believe, will be grafted in. For if thou wast cut out of that which is by nature a wild olive tree, and was grafted, in, grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, okay, it's not in our nature to do the things of God like it is for them. How much more shall these, which are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? It is their message. It is their salvation. It is, this was, it's to the Jew first. It's not to us Greeks first. It's to them first. For I would not, brethren, then have you ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits, that a hardening in part hath befallen Israel, until the fullness of Gentiles is come. So, and then it says, and so all Israel will be saved, even as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. He shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Okay, so it will be all Israel. We are grafted into the root, which makes us uh, Israel as well. We are spiritual Israel. They are physical Israel. God never said that he cut off physical Israel in its entirety. It's, it's falseness. When they're grafted in, they are physical. We are connected by faith. Yes, we are physical, but it's through the spiritual connection. And this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As touching the gospel, they are the enemies. Why? For your sake. So they're the enemy of the gospels for our sakes as Gentiles, so we could be brought into it. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So they're not forgotten. God has not forgotten them. Okay, Verse 29, For the gifts and callings of God are not repented of. God is not finished with Israel because you cannot repent of the gifts and callings that he has given. This is what he's saying. For as ye in times past were disobedient to God, but now have obtained mercy, by their disobedience even so, have these also now been disobedient, that by the mercy shown to you, that you may also now obtain mercy. So... We were obviously out of it. God showed us mercy because they closed their eyes, if you will, to the truth. But now, here's, here's the greater calling. This is the calling for us believers. For God has shut up all in disobedience, that he might have mercy unto all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past tracing out like how no no man is going to be able to do it basically what he's saying for who hath known the mind of the lord or who hath been his counselor 
or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and unto him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So, for of him, through him, and unto him are all things. That is what I, I will end with today. I, want, I, I just want you to take a look at your life. What are you doing? What mercy are you showing to God's people? We have to be thankful and merciful to God for allowing us to be grafted into something which we are not naturally to be a part of. God did not call all the world to be Israel from the, from the beginning. He created Israel. He, he, he started with Abraham. He called Abraham, and then it created a, a lineage of people that has continued unto this day. Now, when the, when the temple was destroyed, the records were ruined. People's names were untraceable. So no longer can we say uh, with certainty anyone is is fully blood Jewish. I mean, there's a good chance, but we can't say with complete certainty. There's no records going back to those days. But what does it do? I mean, what is God doing? He is bringing us together. He's bringing us, both people of covenant people, okay? Those that live in the new covenant, those that live in the old covenants, which are still uh, waiting to be grafted in. Will be coming together, not shoving down your throats. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we have to shove Yeshua down their throats. We do it by showing them mercy, and by showing them mercy, they will begin to see in us something that they recognize. Because they're natural branches, they recon they they will recognize this. They will recognize uh, this, and th and they will marvel. And my thing is like, let's show them love. Let's show them mercy. That's what we're called to do. Paul never said that we are to be uh, anti this. I just I don't get it. I, I know people have been offended in my dad's preaching of the old in the Old Testament. How foolish! The Old Testament was was the is the Bible. That is what Jesus preached out of. That's what the prophets came. That's what all of this. The new the New Testament. We call it these these names. And personally, I'm actually I've kind of come to the point where I don't really like the names that much. The new Old Testament, New Testament. I I prefer to just call it God's will. Okay, it is it is the book. It is the Bible. Okay, it's it's really the partition is is foolish. Uh, because it's not really how it works. I mean, it, it is in a sense, but it's not the way it has worked. That, that the middle page has divided people and has destroyed generations. Uh, and for that sake, it should be taken out. It's, it's, we sh there is a separation, and the separation is faith in the new covenant and, and the f entering into it by faith. But a piece of paper, not so much. Um, I think we need to understand our place. I think we need to understand the Bible. I think most people are very ignorant of the Bible. They're very ignorant of what it says, and they're taking little bits of Scripture here and there to, to make a point. And that's complete foolishness, okay? Never are we to do that. We need to keep it in context. And in this very section, very precious section, Paul is explaining to the Romans not to be harsh and, and bitter against the Jewish people because it is through them salvation has come. It also says that God's not done with them. So let's not be foolish. Let's not be uh, let's not let's not be ignorant of this mystery. Let's not be ignorant of it. Let's love our Jewish brothers and sisters. And Lord willing, if we show them mercy, they will see the mercy of Yeshua, and they will open up their minds and hearts. And at the right time, He will save them. He will save them all. 
Is it an issue of damnation? Is it an issue of eternity? You know, that's not our place. That is not our place to say God is judge. We can believe something, but God is judge. I believe Yeshua is the way. And is there a provision made that he will open up salvation to those who were dead before? I don't know. Maybe. It's out of my hands. But I am not called to be here to undermine what God is clearly, prophetically doing. And if I do so, I stand in the way of God, and and we must repent. We must repent against the evil that we have done towards the Jewish people. We we must repent of the, the, the... awful things that have been done in the name of Christianity against the world. It really is, it really is a horrible thing uh, that has been done in the name of the love of the Messiah for the world. And it's because of the paganism that crept in when we, like the Christians and, and I, you know, the fathers, not, not the apostles, but 300 some odd years after uh, when it got separated from the root, Christianity got horribly perverted by paganism and, and, and ideas that are just evil. They're not good. But God can save people out of it. He did bring the knowledge of the Messiah to the Gentiles, and many of those who, who found salvation and faith through that also did then go on to see the fullness and the truth of it. So, you know, I'm not completely hostile, but we have to understand that as an entity, it's not what it was meant to be. We are not to have been a separate religion. Never did Jesus create a separate religion. Nor did he call Judaism a religion. Okay? All the other religions in the world are false. He created his on based on his covenant and promises. It's not religion. It is it is his plan. It is his people who he has started with the promises of Abraham and he has made covenants with these people. It is his covenant people uh, to the Jew first and to the Greek. So that's it for today. I know it's long-winded, but this has just been my heart the last, last weeks. I, I just I see opposition to some of, of this stuff and it just frustrates me because it's like you don't know your Bible. You don't, you're not reading. You're not getting the message you know, get up, get out, go go to Israel, go to a Holocaust museum, do something where you can see the plight of these people and what we can do to show mercy to them uh, and be kind to them. Because it is only through them not seeing the Mashiach that Jesus opened up his eyes to us, opened up our eyes, I should say, to him and found us. So we should be thankful and merciful and, and merciful towards them so that they can also receive it, not hostile. So, if this has been a part of your life, repent of it. Turn from it. And if, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, read the scripture. Study and ask the Lord to open your eyes. And, and I encourage you, go, go to Israel. Go to your local Jewish community and sit down and talk and, and ask them to forgive you as a person. And, and, you know, I think Jewish evangelism, yeah, is perhaps important. I just don't think the way that most people are doing it is right. I think, you know, it's not like we're street preaching to them, shoving down the Messiah down their throats. I don't think that's what God has called us to. He's called us to provoke them to jealousy. How do we do that? By showing them mercy, by showing them love, by showing them kindness, by being good to them. That's, that is the attributes that we should have. So, uh, I guess that's the challenge I have for today, and we'll see uh, what I come up with next week. So, this is kind of how my mind works. I guess, uh, you can listen to what I have to say if you want to. 
Anyway, uh, I am going to be launching my new website here, uh, hopefully, in the next few days, and to start working on it more actively. Um, I'm open to comments and thoughts. If you want to email them to me, I'll be happy to answer questions or things like that. I don't really want open forum type stuff yet, maybe at some point, because I'm not really doing it for that purpose, but I just want... Uh, I, my, my whole goal and life and mission to this project okay, has been to unveil biblical truths and so people can see it. it because faith has, is under attack from a, a lot of different angles because we don't battle flesh, we battle principalities and powers. So if we can bring out biblical truth that people can see the truth and we can be a beacon of light, that is all that I can, that's all I can ask for. So anyway, thank you and God bless you and uh, study, study the word. Amen.